So when you think of potential, when you think about passion, when you think about your purpose, all of that intertwined is what I believe your life work is all about. And of course, they have to be aligned with your core values. Hi, I'm Alex Pascal, CEO of Coaching.com, and this is Coaches on Zoom Drinking Coffee. My guest today transitioned from a PhD in chemistry to become an executive coach and leader. He's a Forbes columnist and a member of the Marshall Goals Meet 100. He's a published author, management trainer for a Fortune 500 company, and a John Maxwell certified leadership coach, trainer, and speaker. Please welcome Dr. Richard Osibanjo. Hi, Richard. Hi, Alex. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you. Thank you for joining me today. So let's start where we always started, coaches on Zoom drinking coffee. What are we drinking today? So I'm in Portland. The weather is overcast, so I need some extra caffeine. So I'm having some Diet Coke. Perfect. Diet Pepsi. Pepsi. I told you the weather was overcast. (laughs) (laughs) you know i rarely have a diet coke or diet pepsi but you know part of the premise of the podcast is i just go with the flow so cheers absolutely so cheers so really excited to have you here for our conversation today and i'd like to start at the beginning and you have a very interesting background you have phd in chemistry and you do leadership and organizational development work work at Intel Corporation. So you you just have a very interesting background. Let's go back to the beginning. How did it all begin and how did you tell us about your your journey? Fascinated to learn more about it. Alex, thank you for asking that question. So that journey, I'm going to take you way back. So (laughs) and don't don't laugh. So my granddad had 26 children, so which my father was one of them. How many? 26. 26 children. So, hey, Alex, so he had several wives. So polygamy was, a th- back in the day, was a thing. Where was that? Oh, in Nigeria. So Nigeria, Ogun State, Nigeria. One of the things was my dad, one in 26, my grandmother was the first wife. So when my, ma- my grandfather got very active and started marrying other women, it caused a lot of problems in the house. So one of the things my granddad did to put my grandmom into, hey, behave, was he always threatened that he wasn't going to pay for my dad's school fees. So ultimately, cut the long story short, you know, my dad eventually got scholarships. He was a very brilliant student. And when he got to middle school, you know, he got scholarships all the way to he did his PhD in England. And so my dad fell in love with chemistry. And for somebody whose father was a chauffeur, his father was a chauffeur, my granddad, chemistry was what took him out of poverty. And he just believed he had found the lottery. He had found the secret formula for success, which was chemistry. So he wanted all his kids to study chemistry. And from somebody, my dad coming from poverty and seeing him, somebody who was blessed later on in life, I felt I owed my dad a lot of things because again, growing up in Nigeria, developing country, there were a lot of luxuries I had, which 90% of the population did. So I thought I owed my life to him. And one of those things was, hey, studying chemistry. So that was what took me down the path of chemistry till I saw the light. That's a fascinating story. 26 children. That is incredible. (laughs) How many wives did he have? (laughs) 
I can remember three or four in totality. Some of them were not officially married. I don't even know if any of them were officially married, like more traditional marriages back in the day. Yeah, that's very interesting. We come from a very interesting place. And I, I love that you studied chemistry because that's how your dad got out of poverty and got him into a better direction in life. And, you know, your commitment to continue that is commendable. So you studied chemistry. Did you love it? Did you see yourself being a chemist? Like, what was the process for you to go through that educational experience, taking it all the way to a PhD to then really change your career focus? Tell me more about that. Yeah, no, thanks, Alex. Again, looking from my dad's background, my granddad was a chauffeur to somebody who had a PhD from Birmingham University in England, you know, someone who was recognized as one of the top seven scientists in the whole of Nigeria, which is over 200 million people. Wow. So, you know, for my dad, going through that process is education was not an option in my household, right? So you didn't have the luxury. And also, and I think for a lot of households, even in Nigeria, even Africa then, if you had the means, because it was your ticket out, because there was no other way out. Things have changed a little whereby people celebrate more of the arts, but education was the golden ticket out of poverty. And like I mentioned earlier, trying to make my dad happy, one of the things a mentor of mine told me, Alex, was there are three important things in life. You know, who you marry, friends and family, they kind of put it in one bucket, your career, and where you spend eternity, which is the spirituality. I said, okay, I think I've gotten the two right. But one of the things my dad always told me, he said, son, if I come back into this world one more time, guess what I'm going to study? He said, chemistry. (laughs) I asked myself the question. I said, if I came back into this world, and for some luck draw, I studied chemistry, asked myself, would I be happy? And the answer to that, Alex, was no. And I discovered that when I did some soul searching, I said, Yes, it's easy to blame this on my dad to say, oh, I did it because of my dad. But when I went introspective, there's also another thing. It was also safe because scientists will always have a job. You never have enough of them. So I actually saw that I was actually playing it safe in other with my dad combination as well. And I asked myself the question, did I excel in chemistry? Absolutely. Was I in love with chemistry? My answer was there were other things that were pulling on my heartstrings that was stronger than my passion for chemistry. So that for me started getting my real started. What are some of those other passions? So when I see myself, and one of the things is that for each and every one of us, when you ask, how do you define success? And for me, I always discovered that success for me was always helping people achieve, make maximum impact and live their best lives. You know, success for me was working with people. When you look at the strategies, you're in point A, you want to go go to point C, how do we figure out the way for you to get there? And that for me was what was successful, whether it's working with teams, whether it's working with organizations or working with individuals, that was what excited me. That was like, oh my goodness, I had a lot of proof points in terms of helping people. So for me, on the science technology side of things, which was great, but what really got my emotions and juices going was working with the teams, you know, working with individuals. And I'm also a huge believer of purpose. Like when purpose is known, success is inevitable. So when people discover their why, then you don't have to motivate them anymore. They already lit up like a light bulb. So those were some of the things that just keep me going. So what was the journey to go from becoming a chemist, a PhD level chemist, to focusing on leadership and organizational development? What was that journey like? 
Beautiful question, Alex, because like for most of us, all of us at some point in our lives, we always ask ourselves the question is, where am I headed? Why am I headed there? And the current path I'm on, is this something that really excites me? So I did a lot of soul searching. I read a ton of books, a lot of leadership assessments. I spoke with a lot of mentors, you know, and I believe that the first part of this journey is always discovery. And so one of the things I did, Alex, was ultimately I created a model going through experiences, a lot of assessments, I call it the three P's plus V. And the three P's plus V talks about your potential, your passion, your purpose, and also your values. It's like a Venn diagram with a big circle around it representing. And the first thing I'm asking the question, and for those, your audience who are listening right now, is the first one is potential. And the potential is defined as that thing I'm capable of becoming that I haven't achieved yet. So for example, when you look at wheat, you have to process it to get bread. When you look at trees, you have to process it to get furniture or your pencil. You know, these days you use recycled material, so on and so forth. I live in L.A., so when I think of wheat and bread, I think, you know, do you have a gluten-free option? But I, I, I actually <laughs> like regular bread. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. So or even if you think in terms of like crude oil, Crude oil has to be processed before it goes into gasoline. So it's asking myself the question, Richard, what are those things? Or even strengths finder, you know, they call it about your strengths. What are those things that you enjoy, you excel in um, from that perspective? So it's asking myself the question, Richard, what are those raw talents, those raw strengths that you have? That you might not have processed them, but you have the inner ability. So, for example, I was practicing basketball during the pandemic every day. And Alex, mm -hmm. every day was like I was starting from ground zero. So even if I had Shaq O'Neal to be my coach for six months every day, probably I'll go from a three to a five. I, <laughs> the skills were not there. And what's the scale we're working on? Is that like a, a 10-point scale? Yeah, 10-point scale. <laughs> <A> 10 <-point> scale. <laughs> yeah, so I think so for me, it's important for people to know and be honest. What are those things, those gifts I have that if I invest in, I can go from an eight to a ten? I'm focusing on my strengths, not trying to fix my weaknesses. The other thing for me is passion. What are those things that energize me? What are those things I lose track of time in? What are those things that people come to me for help? What are those things that I can just lost? I just get lost with time. Those are the things that energize me. It's very important. And the third thing I often talk about is purpose. And when you think about a faucet and you want to get water out of a faucet, the first thing in the faucet, the lines of the faucet gets wet first before it fills the cup. So when you think about purpose, your purpose has to be connected to a bigger picture. It's not about you. You are like a faucet. You are a conduit of your gift to the world. Think of an apple tree. An apple tree never eats its own fruit. It's always for other people. So when you think about purpose, purpose is not about you. Purpose is sharing the gifts that you have, making them accessible to the world. Right. And so when you think of potential, when you think about passion, when you think about your purpose, all of that intertwined is what I believe your life work is all about. And of course, they have to be aligned with your core values. So just to make it simplistic, that's kind of the journey I went on is what are my potential? What am I capable of doing that by investing it, I become better? What are those things that keep me up at night? What are those things that energize me? You see a lot of books behind me. Yeah. When I was in grad school, even doing PhD in chemistry. These were the books I was reading. If I'm going on vacation, these are the books I'm going to pick up because those for me were fun. It's not like, oh, it's a textbook. 
And so for me to be doing what I'm doing right now and I have to go back to these books is just a blessing. So those were kind of the path that I went on. So the first part of that was discovery. Then, of course, people often ask me, so how did you, you know, going from Intel, how did you go from a senior process engineer, right, to ultimately where you were today? It was a ton of work. But the first thing is I had to identify, Richard, who are you? What do you want out of life? Where do you want to go? Once you're able to answer those questions, then it's easier to find the people who can help you get there faster. So you've been at Intel for a long time, almost 10 years, and you've had a number of different roles there. How do you go from being a, a senior process engineer to a director level kind of transformation chief of staff role? It seems like a very nice evolution over a 10-year period. No, yeah, great question. Number one, um, Intel is a great company to work for. One of the beautiful things about Intel, and even not just me, there are a lot of people who have had opportunities to explore, discover themselves, and have career options while at the same time delivering value. So I have to give that kudos to Intel. So if Intel is watching, you know, thank you. But the second thing about that is, again, it comes back to Alex's purpose. Because I'm a believer that purpose should guide what we do. Like when you think of an apple tree, an apple tree doesn't produce oranges and orange trees do not produce apples. So once you discover your why, once you discover your purpose, then the next question is how do I align? How do I align who I am and what I do? How do they become one circle? So I think my journey over the 10 years from Intel started from, I got a job at Intel. And in the job, who I was, and what I did were not the same. The goal was to make the job a career, whereby who I was and what I did were kind of, there was an overlap, whether that was 20 to 60%. But what I discovered was that at Intel, which I'm also thankful for, is who I was and what I did are now like one circle. And that for me has been a blessing. Alignment, so important. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Marshall Goldsmith talks about the three A's. He talks about aspirations, ambitions, and actions, that you always get traction when you have all of those things, all your three A's aligned. How did you first meet Marshall? I know you've been part of the Marshall Goldsmith 100 for, then I'm also a member of, and I love being a part of, but you've been a member for a long time. How did you first become uh, acquainted with Marshall? Yeah, so I was introduced to, it was in 2020, before the pandemic, we had something in San Diego, the MG100, you know, connect session, that's how I met him. But ultimately, I got introduced to the MG100 through Aisha Evans. Cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Aisha was one of my sponsors. That's awesome. And I don't know why I'm blanking out on my other sponsor, and I hope he doesn't see this video, but I'll catch the name later. But it was through my other sponsor that I met Marshall, and of course, you know Marshall, so meeting Marshall for the first time is like I've known him like forever. So Marshall actually has come to Intel twice as well. So again, he's been a huge blessing to me personally and also to even Intel as well. Yeah, and Aisha runs um, an AI company, I think self-driving, uh, actually not AI, but self-driving technology company, right? Zooks, yes. Yes. Doing extremely well, yes. Yeah, really cool. There's so many interesting things happening in the world. And you're in the technology space and also in leadership development and organizational development. So we've been talking a lot in the last couple episodes around AI and technology and some of the transformational 
aspects of technology in the workplace, how it impacts coaches, how it impacts coaching. So I probably won't bring this up in too many more episodes because we've been talking about this a lot, but I'm curious <laughs> since it's such a new thing and everyone's talking about it. I'm curious to learn more about your vision and your perspective on ChatGPT. Have you had a chance to play with ChatGPT? What are some of your thoughts? I'm super curious. Have I had a chance to play with it? Yes. So a friend of mine spoke to me about ChatGPT. Have, have I looked at it? Yes. You know, I'm just a believer of so some examples I would give. So when you look at Netflix today, Alex, so let's think of Netflix today. I just watched the Chris Rock special the other day. I don't know if you watched it, but it was so good. I've read about it, but I haven't seen it yet. Oh, I, yeah, I haven't seen it yet. You have to watch it. My mom called me the other day and was like, did you watch the Chris Rock special? I was like, I didn't know my mom liked like stand up. It was hilarious. So <laughs> she loved it. You should watch it. <laughs> Everyone listening should watch it. Did your mom call you to say, son, I've always seen the gift of stand-up in you. So is that why she was calling that? You better start your own. Maybe you should do some stand-up coaching.com something. I mean, I a lot of my friends tell me, like this past weekend, they were telling me, like, you should really have been like a stand-up comedian. Uh, and, you know, I'm, yeah, I think I like it. You know, I think there was potential there, but I think I'm past that. And I see the stand-up comedians, I'm like, they're so good. Like, I don't think I could. I can get in front of a stage, which I do regularly and talk about coaching and technology. And I like to throw a joke or two, but like you watch the level of craftsmanship and someone's standing there for 60 minutes, 90 minutes, reading the audience, engaging with the audience and having this really like very immersive experience and remembering all these jokes. Like, I don't think I could do that, Richard. How about you? Do you have that in you? Could you be a stand-up comedian in a different life, you think? Well, I think even from coaching, leadership development, chemo cells. So, you know, whether it's stand-up or whatever one does, I think just having that sense of humor, which you do have, you know, you've been cracking me up even before we started recording. So, <laughs> yeah, so that has been great. So with the chat GPT, yes. I was saying that, so let's think about Netflix. Mm -hmm. Netflix approached Blockbuster and said, hey, Blockbusters, can we be your streaming arm? The leadership team of Blockbuster, they looked at it. Ultimately, they said no. The same year that Blockbuster exited Wall Street was the same year Netflix came on. And even when you think about the Wright brothers who invented the plane, Nelson Mandela said it's always impossible until it's done. When they brought the telephone, when it was the Betamax video, when it was Polaroid, as human beings, we have an interesting relationship with change. We want to keep the status quo until the status quo now makes us irrelevant, which was what happened to Blockbuster. So going back to your question about ChatGPT, my posture right now is learn about it, but you have to embrace it. That's where, the, that's where the train is going. You don't want to be in the way telling the train to stop. We know what is going to happen. So learn about it. Definitely, there are going to be pluses and minuses. But my question is, how can we make this better? How can we embrace it to help people? I can see a lot of reasons why people are fearful about chat GPT. But again, don't forget your chat GPT is only as good as the data you feed it with. Absolutely. Even if somebody is only as good at it. So I see chat GPT helping. I don't think chat GPT is going to be taking the place of humans or making human beings redundant. There's some certain um, routine tasks that we want other people to do like chat GPT can do so we can focus on the really strategic thing and chat GPT is also not very good with emotions. So 
we still have the advantage. We have emotions. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. So, so interesting. And I love how you're bringing the blockbuster Netflix example, you know, around innovation. It's just so hard to see things sometimes when it comes to technology and the adoption. I love that Henry Ford quote that if he had asked people what they wanted, they would, people would have said that they wanted a faster horse as opposed to a car, right? So innovation mm, is kind of, that's a good one. It's kind of hard to predict and understand. And I completely butcher that quote, but it is, yeah, something about that. It's just would have invented a faster horse. It's so interesting. And, yeah, we're just living in this time where change just gets accelerated and technology acts as that accelerant and strategy teams. I mean, you work with a lot of executives and it's easy to go back and say, oh, the blockbuster executive team, what a miss. But, you know, when you understand their frame and the way they're looking at things, I think perhaps it's easier to understand why that you don't see an opportunity. But obviously, looking back, well, what a tremendous mistake. And you have examples of that across the board. I remember the Verizon executive that mm. didn't want to say yes to Steve Jobs and like some of these requirements for the iPhone. And then AT&T got it and he just exploded in growth those years that they had that exclusive with the iPhone. I mean, it's just, there's so many things happening with technology all the time and it's a challenging environment. And for coaches, I think the applications of a lot of these AI layers that we're adding to a lot of the workflows that we're used to using, to me, it just speaks to opportunity to become better at our craft. I mean, for me, the way I've been playing with ChatGPT is just such a powerful aid. And, you know, we'll see where that goes into the future. But right now, it really acts as an aid for whatever you're doing, whether you're doing coaching. I mean, I've actually started playing around with it for some coaching applications. And it is like a really great assistant to compile information and synthesize in ways that are time-saving and powerful. And just it's a beautiful thing to see that level of intelligence that you can interact with. And it's a machine. It almost feels kind of human, doesn't it? Yeah. And you mentioned a good point, Alex. Chat GPT, for somebody who is an expert, who knows exactly what they're doing, it ups your game. For someone who doesn't know what they're doing, maybe it's a marginal increase. So again, it goes back to it's only as good as what you put into it. And one of the things you mentioned, Alex, is when you spoke about the Verizon, when I spoke about Netflix and Blockbuster, is from a coaching perspective or from a leadership perspective, it comes to the point of leaders need to be very careful who they surround themselves with. Very careful. Because in the Blockbuster perspective, in the leadership room, they were just focused on today. They couldn't see beyond. They were too close to the work. And if people in that room, maybe there was a leader in that room who was telling them we have to create the future. Because as leaders, we have to deliver on the present and we have to create the future. You have to have both teams because the present today is going to be a burden tomorrow if you're not creating the future. So again, from a leadership perspective, a coaching perspective, very important, the voices that you hear. And if you've gotten to a point that you're not listening to the voices around you, you're not asking for feedback, if bad news is not able to travel or is not welcomed, guess what? You're going to be surrounded with leaders who do not speak. And when people do not speak, the market is going to give you surprise news. And at that point, organizations and leaders are in danger of getting obsolete. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about your coaching practice. So in, in terms of your journey, when did you start practicing coaching? How's that journey for you to start? And then tell me... You know, what do you specialize on? Like, what are the clients that you get the most energized to work with? Like, I really want to learn more about, like, your overall 
approach to to coaching and let's start with the beginning of that journey you know so like i mentioned before when i looked at richard as a raw state what usually fills my energy what people come to me for help for at that point in time was richard i need help with this whether it's with their personal life whether it's with their work life when i was in high school i was a house captain of 400 boys i was in a boarding house so leadership has always been a part of it. With that, you call it advice giving, you call it counseling. At the point in time, I didn't know the word coaching, right? So from, even from the high school level, throughout university, I was the president of the Students Chemical Society of Nigeria. I was the youth leader of my church and all of that. So it's always been a part of it, but I never just knew there was something formalized. From a coaching perspective, I didn't even know it was a thing. I always thought coaches were people who solved marital problems or people who had drug addictions. So I had a very, very myopic view to coaching. I didn't think somebody who was healthy. I didn't think somebody who was already a nine but wanted to get to a 9.5 would need a coach. I thought it was for problematic people. So putting it that way. But as I began to grow in my career, as I began to do a lot of investigation, one book that was very pivotal for me was Good to Great, you know, as well. So ultimately, and since I wanted to transition... I was transitioning from a senior process engineer going into the leadership and org development world. There were some certain things, okay, so this has to go beyond just passion. This has to go beyond just reading books. You know, I need, it was important for me to go through the theory. So I did the Marshall Goldsmiths stakeholder-centered coaching. I did the John Maxwell Leadership Development Program. I did the Hudson at Intel. We have an internal program we do as well. Hudson at Intel? That's awesome. Yeah, so there's an internal program we do, so which I'm certified for as well. There's another one is the Neuro Institute of Leadership. They do the brain-based coaching as well. So I did a lot, immersed myself, not just from a passion perspective and from the theory. So going back to what you were asking in terms of my coaching practice, I'm very purpose-driven because I just fundamentally believe that when people understand who they are, they understand their why, that aspect of self-discovery it helps you, to, it brings a lot of clarity. And that clarity helps you to be able to go faster, go further, and ultimately asking the question, at the end of my life, what will I see as being successful? What will I see as being important? And then working backwards. So that for me, that purpose brings about clarity. It brings about prioritization. So I'm very driven with that. And if your goals are purpose-driven, it also makes you more resilient. It makes, gives you the energy to be able to push through, to be able to achieve that. So that's one. And also for somebody who went through that myself, in terms of going through the purpose journey and being able to come out on the other side, it's, it's very powerful for me. One of the areas I've also seen the biggest success from is, I'll call it performance coaching. I would say about 95 or 97% of my clients you know, who I coached ultimately became even executives at Intel. So I just love that strategy process. This is where I want to go and creating a roadmap. You know, first understanding that why do you want this? Why is this important? Then who are the key stakeholders? What are the things that need to be done? Yeah, so those are some of the areas that I, I focus on. Cool. Yeah, you mentioned Good to Great, Jim Collins, Level 5 Leadership. It's really interesting book, uh, really interesting implications for for leadership and what makes companies great over a long period of time very data driven book i'm sure a lot of our audience has heard of it or even read it you mentioned your why a lot are you a fan of simon sinek 
Oh, I am. The golden circle, the why, the what, the how. And I think one of the things Simon Sinek said that I love is that people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. And also, I think another thing he said, I'm not sure whether it was him or somebody else, is that we always have to prioritize the why over the what and the how. People who are very execution-oriented always want to go to the how and the what extremely quickly. But that is when you lose the hearts of your organization. People want to know the why. Once people know why, then they will get up early in the morning, they'll sleep late at night, and they'll do it over and over again. If they don't know why they're doing it, then we've just made people robots. And it's not going to last for very long. What's your thing about why? So I'm going to flip, quickly flip the switch on you. So what's your concept? You are doing great things, coaching the Tom Webex, or I'm sure there's something driving that. So what's, what's beyond that for you? So I'm flipping the switch. I know. <laughs> yeah, the why? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so yeah, I like when people flip the script. You know, it's funny. We recorded an episode recently with MBS, with Michael Bungay's tenure. And he started the podcast by welcoming me. He was like, welcome, Alex. And he was like, oh, no, I just welcomed you to the, your, your own podcast. And that was very funny. People <laughs> thought that was hilarious. I got a lot of messages. It was like really funny. So, But it's nice. Sometimes you flip the script, you know. So thank you for asking. You know, I think my why that drives me to really to kind of have buildcoaching.com and evolve it. I mean, it's a lot of work, right? To start an enterprise software company and now we have these the summit and the programs that we do. The why for me really is to help people develop like self-awareness and understanding of themselves so that with that you can get better sense of who you are, who you are in the world, who you want to be in the world, and provide people with tools through coaching to be able to be the best version of themselves, both personally and at work. So I've always focused on coaching in the workplace. And I learned the trade at CCL, the Center for Creative Leadership, which I think the development programs there for, I think now probably 50 years, have been really focused on developing self-awareness in people and for me, that was always something that appealed to me. So when I thought about what I wanted to do is how do you do that at scale? So mm. at coaching.com, we have this opportunity to help coaches upskill their game, learn about new methodologies, optimize the way they work with clients. So it's all driven towards enabling the people that enable people to grow, to grow. So we work with coaches that are agents of change to help them and equip them to be able to work with their clients that ultimately that cascades across organizational systems as well. So my why is really, if you put it down into something very synthesized, it is really to enable people that help other people develop to develop themselves and run their businesses. So is that a good why? To me, it sounds great. The beautiful things about why is the only person who can make it is you. Because, you know, but again, it sounds great to me. One thing you said that really struck a chord with me is you are creating a system that helps other people. And as we help other people, we improve ourselves, we improve the communities, we change the world and make it different. And Alex, one of the areas, again, this is unscripted, which I think I'm, you know, Nigerian-American. And like, for example, Nigeria has about 200 million people. Even think about the African continent. I think coaching.com can make such a huge huge impact because this is not just giving people fish absolutely 
That's not what coaching is. It's teach. And so just think of the impact that this will have on the next generation of leaders. So I'm just throwing that seed there. You know, it's just throwing it there that it will make a huge difference. You know, we work in Africa. Oh. So the Coaching.com Foundation is the evolution of what was called ethical coach before. So we work with coaches to provide wonderful free coaching to uh, people in NGOs. So the original project was in Ethiopia and was very successful. And last year, we provided over 1,000 free coaching engagements to people primarily in Africa. So, yeah, we love that kind of work. And we're expanding the use of the Coaching.com Foundation. I mean, providing coaching to more people is such a powerful thing to do. So I agree with you. It's like teach someone how to fish, right? So that's the model. And I'm very well aware of some of the challenges outside of what we refer to as like first world countries. I'm actually Mexican-American, so I grew up in Mexico. So (laughs) there's always something interesting from that like immigrant perspective, right? Something that makes you super excited to live in America and to be part of this culture and to also know what it's like out there in, in countries that have, you know, not such good education systems necessarily as here, like different cultural dynamics as the immigrant perspective, I think, is super important and powerful and a critical component of what makes, I think, America be such a great place place to live. And I always look back and try to think about, okay, how do we provide support to people living in countries that perhaps are not as privileged in certain ways? And and coaching, I think, is a beautiful tool set to bring. Um, and particularly in Mexico, I'm seeing a a huge leap forward in terms of the use and understanding of how coaching can be leveraged for development. And in Africa, of course, we've focused a lot to provide access to to people and NGOs there particularly. So yeah, really exciting work around enabling coaching in, in other parts of the world. I think the primary markets for coaching are definitely like North America, Europe, Australia, New Zealand, but hey, why not think about Latin America and Africa and the expansion of the use of coaching there? South Africa is actually a really big hub for coaching. So yeah, it's interesting to think about just the expansion of coaching worldwide, isn't it? Yeah. And again, if there's any help I can help you with on the African front, you know, please uh, sign me up. But again, even just from what you've said, I just want to thank you for what you're doing, the investment. You said about over 1,000 coaching engagements or hours from in Africa last day. So thank you because one thing coaching does, it helps you to discover yourself. It helps you change your mindset, a growth mindset. And once people can change their growth mindset, it affects them. It affects their families. It affects their communities. It affects the country. Then it affects the world. So again, what you're doing is not a small fit, right? So thank you so much for for investing in, in our communities. Thank you so much. We will add you to that cadre of coaches. So I'll connect you with Catherine that runs our foundation. And I'm sure she'll will put you right to work with those NGOs in Africa. So I'll <laughs> tell Catherine, you said, yes, you're, you're in. So, <laughs> and I have all these witnesses. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So tell me what gets you excited about the future for you? Like over the next five, 10 years, like what are some of the things that you want to focus your time on? And, and what's the impact that you want to enable? I, I know that you're a very impact-driven person. So, yeah, five, ten years, like, what's the focus of your work? Alex, you, you do know how to ask those questions, right? 
So for somebody who gets bored easily, so that's not an easy... But I think what really excites me, I don't like perfect systems. I love broken systems. I love places that are in a mess so that you come in, understand the system, you know, put some structure. Then once there's a bit of structure, then for me, the work is done. You need to move on almost like an entrepreneur type person. When I look at the state of the world today, you know, so for example, thinking about Africa, a continent with over a billion people is totally underutilized. Not because these people are not brilliant, not because they are not smart, but it's just leadership, poor leadership. So one of the things that will excite me for five, 10 years is how can we flip the script? How can we make Africa a grass to a great story? How can we make Africa the pride and the envy of the world? And it's going to take more than Africans to make it happen. It's going to take partners, people who want to see that this is the next, truly the next frontier. Look at sports, look at medicine. You see Africans doing extremely well outside their domain. So we see that there's an environmental issue, which I say a leadership mindset issue, and how can we fix that? So I think that's going to be a huge, you know, outside of that zone, for me, what's really exciting is how can we create the world and make it a better place? As human beings, you know, people talk about resources. As human beings, we are limitless. With chat GPT, it will come and go, something else will come up. So it's just that place of discovery and what's possible. And what's possible is only limited by imagination. So as long as we can think big and we do not constrain ourselves, then anything is possible. So really excited about what myself, change agents like yourself, coaching Dr. Tom Webex, is you know picking up challenging issues, not just for the finances of it, but things that are truly transformational and that our children, the next generation, will say, Alex Pascal made a difference in this world. Coaching.com made a difference in this world. And all your partners as well, they made a huge difference in this world. And this world would not have been the same if they did not show up. So that's the kind of legacy I'm hoping that we leave in the mark of time. Love that. Thank you, Richard. Dr. Richard, you're certainly on your way to leave that tremendous legacy. So please continue to do all the great work that you do and we'll continue to be in touch. Well, I'll put you in touch with Catherine for the coaching.com foundation. Thank you so much for joining me today in this episode of coaches on Zoom drinking coffee. Uh, Looking forward to continue the conversation. Looking forward and thank you for the privilege and opportunity. I'm proud to be connected with you.